As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today, and then we'll also be in Luke chapter 22. June 1st, 1980, Ted Turner launches the CNN News Network, and for the first time, Americans began experiencing what it's like to have news flowing into our living rooms 24 hours a day, seven days a week. January 1st, 1983, a man by the name of Tim Berners-Lee launched what he called the Network of Networks. You're probably more familiar with it by the term the Internet. February 4th, 2004, a man, a college student named Mark Zuckerberg, launches what he called the Facebook. January 9th, 2007, Steve Jobs unveils the iPhone. Do you realize that we are the first generation to adult in the information age? Now, how many of you remember what life was like back before the communications explosion? How many of you remember what life was like, okay? Some of us don't. I I have four children, the oldest of which is 10, and they do not know a world apart from cell phones, iPads, and 24-hour-a-day cartoon channels. (laughs) I tell them, back in the ancient times, we only had cartoons on Saturday, but they don't know anything about that. Now, personally, I kind of like having information instantly available, but there are some unintended consequences as well. Stacy and I, we are we're mean parents. Uh, we, we, we try to do something. We try to limit our kids' sugar. <gasps> oh, the horror. How could we? You know, and, and we're, we're laid back now. I mean, you should have seen us back in our heyday before we got outnumbered. We were, a well oil, we were a well-oiled machine when we only had two. Now, now we kind of sputter along sometimes like the Cowboys offense, but uh, you know, we're, not, we're, not quite as, uh, we're not quite as machine-like as we look. Today's going to be a day of change, though, right? The Cowboys will prevail today, right? Are they on by? No, I'm kidding. Anyway, uh, but what we've noticed is now when we do give our children sugar, everybody's like looking it up on their phone now, put your phones away. Uh, when we do give our kids sugar, they like go crazy. Because they're overstimulated, they're not used to it, and before long, the whole house kind of gets anxious. So here's one of the unintended consequences of this age. We kind of live with a perpetual sugar rush that's driven by information. And so it's like we're always, we are always overstimulated in the age of anxiety. So today... I'm going to begin a new series of sermons. We're going to actually move away from Luke's gospel for a couple of months uh, after today. But I'm entitling this series of sermons, In God's Presence. And we're going to be looking at some of the great prayers of the Bible and talking for several weeks about the joys and the beauty and the gift that God has given us through prayer. And our anchor verse for this series It's found in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. The Bible says there, Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, 
through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is near to you. He is not just a cosmic force that created you and then said good luck with that, but God has drawn near to you and invites you to call Him your Father. And then he says, don't worry about anything, but instead, in everything, come to God, your Father, in prayer and with thanksgiving, and let those requests be made known to God. Now, some of you read that passage and you say, Lash, that sounds great. I love that scripture. But to tell you the truth, that scripture also stresses me out a little bit because I don't think I, I can do that. I, I don't think I can really live up to that. Let my graciousness be known. Don't worry. Bring everything to God in prayer. It almost causes me some anxiety, even while it's telling me not to have anxiety. <laughs> you know, when it comes to the subject of anxiety, you are not alone. Time Magazine, in its May 8, 2018 edition, began citing some findings of the American Psychiatric Association that found that 38 or 39% of adults say that they are more anxious this year than they were just a year ago. Only 19% of American adults say that their anxiety level is going down. We're beginning to see a converse relationship. As information begins to flow into our lives more and more, anxiety also begins to fill our lives. 40 million American adults, that's about 18% of the adult population, suffer from some type of diagnosed anxiety disorder. Clinicians believe that if you were to include the undiagnosed, that that might go all the way up to about 30% of our adult population. 50% of college students have sought help within the last year for some type of anxiety issue. 43% have taken some type of mood-altering drug. The reality is that many of us in this room are kind of stressed out. Okay, That's just the truth. Many of us in this room today are kind of stressed out. In America, in the early days of America, when the church was growing and the spiritual foundation that shapes so much of our country was being poured, the great preachers were not known for their podcast. They weren't known for their best-selling books or for their Instagram accounts. During those years where spiritual formation was taking root in the United States, the great preachers were known for their prayer lives. In fact, many would have prayer journals, and people would buy prayer journals, and they would be strengthened as they would read the prayers of the fellow saints. Whenever I was growing up, some of the sweetest memories that I have were the prayer meetings. When the church would gather together, it might be in a life group class, it might be on a Wednesday night, but the church would just gather. Sometimes when someone was going through a difficult time, we would just gather at the altar with them on a Sunday morning, and the church would just pray together. And those were just such sweet, special memories for me. The Bible says that prayer and worry have a relationship. They are uniquely connected. We are all tempted to worry in life, but rather than expressing ourselves through worry, God says that we should express ourselves to Him through prayer. Listen, God knows. God knows that you're going to have pressure. 
God knows that life is not easy, that there's going to be concerns, there's going to be hurts, there's going to be teenagers, there's going to be aging parents. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. There's going to be all these things that we deal with in life. God knows that life brings with it a lot of things that would tempt us to worry. But then the scriptures say, but don't worry about anything. Instead, the opposite's what you should You should pray. I promise you this. I promise you that if you will intentionally spend more time in God's presence, then you will find yourself spending less time in the presence of worry. I guarantee you that. If you will spend more time in God's presence, then you will spend less time in the presence of worry. In Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus deeply burdened. Literally, he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. He knew that he was being betrayed. He knew that before the sun would set again, that he would be arrested, he would be tortured, he would be crucified, and that he would face death. Jesus knew that this would be his last night before all this unfolded. So can you imagine the pressure that was upon our Lord? He gathers with the disciples in the upper room, and there they celebrate the Passover meal. But he changes its meaning because he was about to fulfill its meaning, and so he instigates the Lord's Supper. The Scriptures say that then they sang a hymn. They left the upper room, went down the stairwell, went outside the city. They went through the Kidron Valley and up the other hillside, and they arrived at this fragrant garden known as Gethsemane. It was likely a private garden, but somehow Jesus had access to it. Perhaps a believer had allowed him to have access to it. And it appears that our Lord often liked to go there to pray. And as the moonlight flickered through the olive branches, Jesus would spend time in God's presence praying. But this time, as he arrived at the garden, he was in deep distress. The scripture says in verse 29 of Luke 22, He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you might not enter into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Now, I believe that Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane is one of the greatest teaching methods or teaching passages in all the Bible. We often call the other prayer the model prayer, But in many ways, Jesus' Gethsemane prayer was his model prayer. And so today, I want us to get up close and personal with Jesus and learn some lessons about prayer from our Lord. And here's the first. It's okay to unplug sometimes. The Bible says specifically here that Jesus withdrew from them. He got alone. It's important to have community. It's important to have friends and to have people that you can count upon. But it's also okay. You have permission. It is a good thing to unplug. And sometimes the very best thing that we can do is to turn off all the noise, to unplug from all the inputs, to turn off the music, to put the phone on Do Not Disturb, even 
put it in another room, to quit looking to Google for all the answers, to quit Facebooking all the questions, and simply to withdraw, to kneel down and pray. You say, well, Ash, I I like to pray in my car. I understand that. I, I like to pray in my truck as well, and it's okay to pray in your car as long as you don't close your eyes. It's okay to throw out some of those flare prayers as well. You know what a flare prayer is? It's when you're in trouble and you're like, God, help! <laughs> you know, and you throw out that flare prayer to God. That's okay. I love to pray whenever I run or whenever I walk. But sometimes what we need to do is turn everything off and kneel down and pray. Just get alone. You say, I got bad knees. Get you a real thick pillow. I don't know. It doesn't matter if you're on your knees or if you're just, but just get alone, bow before God in the quietness of God's presence and just pray. Well, as we move the camera of our imagination closer to our Lord, what is it that he prays? Well, if you listen, verse 42, he prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And here's the second lesson that I want you to download. It's okay to bring the desires of your heart to God. Jesus begins his prayer as sincerely as he possibly can. Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. He comes to his heavenly Father and he says, Lord, please be willing in your power to take away what is in front of me. It's okay to pray for healing. It's okay to pray for that new job. It's okay to pray that your child will return to um, where they need to be. It's okay to pray that you'll do well on the test. It's okay to pray and offer your request to God. But realize this, that sometimes God's will is going to take you through some scary situations. Make sure you catch this. You can be in the center of God's will and be going through a difficult time. You can be in the center of God's will and be going through a scary situation. You see this all through the Bible. I think of Abraham who was called by God to go to another land. Okay, God, where should I go? You just go to a land that I will show you. I think about his wife, Sarai, who later became Sarah. She winds up giving birth with no epidural at the age of 90. That's pretty scary. I think of Rahab, who risked her life to save her family, and then God calls her, praise God he called her, because she's known as Rahab the harlot, but he calls her to a midlife career change. And then she starts a whole new life in another place. I think of Esther. Esther was this beauty queen. Everybody thought that all she had to offer was a pretty face, but she actually had an incredible strength of character. And God put her in a situation where her people were on the fringe of genocide, and she goes into the king to ask for their freedom. That was a scary situation. Or David, the young teenage shepherd boy on the backside of the mountain that everybody just overlooked, but God said, you know what? You're going to stare down that mean, nasty, giant Goliath, and you're going to take him out. All those people were called to dangerous situations, and yet in the middle of the uncomfortable danger, they were right in the center of God's will. 
We live in a hand sanitizer world. Don't believe me? Okay, ladies, how many of y'all have hand sanitizer? I won't embarrass you. How many of you have hand sanitizer somewhere in your purse or upon your purse? Okay, okay quite, quite, quite a bit of hand. Those were just the ones that would admit it, okay? okay. We, we live in this sanitized world. Grandma didn't live that way. This is new to us. Our culture is all about being safe, all about being clean, all about being sanitized. Think about how many safety checks you make just to get out of the driveway. You open the, unlock the door, open it, you know, turn on the alarm if you have one of those. Then you go into the garage, then you lock it again, then you open the garage door, then you look to make sure there's nobody out in the driveway, then you unlock the car, then you get the kids, then you put each of those kids in a, in a seat, and then you have to buckle them all in, and you have to put your 10-year-old facing backwards these days in a huge car seat and all that kind of stuff. And then you get into your car, and you have a chip in your key that goes into the ignition to make sure that it's you that's actually starting the car. Then you start the car, then the doors lock again, and then you pull back. All this is going on just before you leave the driveway because we want to be safe. But know this, sometimes, okay, let me back up. Was it God's will for Jesus to face the cross? Was, was, yes or no, was Jesus in God's will? Yes. Was he about to face the cross? Yes. Sometimes, realize this, sometimes being in God's will, will is not a hand-sanitized safe place. Sometimes being right in the center of God's will uh, will put you in a season of discomfort. It will put you in a season of struggle because God is building something within you or using you for something that goes beyond you. And realize that you can be in the middle of God's will and be uncomfortable. Now here's lesson number three. Prayer is where God molds us to His will. Okay, so Jesus started out by bringing his request to God. Lord, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. But then he prayed the prayer of surrender. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Make sure you memorize that. Father, all things are possible. This is the desire of my heart. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Here's what most of us think when it comes to prayer. Most of us think that prayer is about convincing God to do what we want him to do. And usually what we're asking God to do is to keep us safe, keep us comfortable, and give us what we need or what we want. And that's how we've really framed prayer in our mind. And we've kind of almost made it a competitive thing. Either it works or it doesn't. And so we say things like, well, prayer works. There's power in prayer. Prayer changes things. But then what happens whenever you go to God in prayer and the danger doesn't go away? What happens when you go to God and you say, God, can you give me this healing? Can you give me this relief? And yet the pain and the sickness is still there. What happens whenever we don't get what we want? Now, here's what I've observed. I'll just tell you what I've observed. Most of the time, we quit praying. We just stop. And I have this fear. I have this fear that this church and the people that I love so much are not truly experiencing the joy of God's gift of prayer. Because somewhere along the way, we've just quit doing it. Perhaps we've outsourced it. (laughs) We've come to the conclusion, well, it just doesn't work for me. 
but my grandma has a good connection. Paul Reed, that guy's like a saint, you know, God has to hear him. And so we think to ourselves, well, it doesn't work for me, but I'll, I'll outsource it this way. Now, prayer is not one of those things you can talk bad about, okay? You can't say, like on a survey, uh, that the worst thing that we did today was we prayed too much in church. You know, you can't talk bad about prayer. And so we don't, we don't articulate it. We don't speak badly of it, but we often just don't do it. And when we do talk about prayer, it's almost like a religious ritual. We'll, we'll say, okay, let's bow down. We have a congregational prayer or a mealtime prayer or a quick bedtime prayer that sounds the same every day. Or, or we say, uh, someone calls out and says, hey, this is going on in my life. And we say, okay, we're sending up prayers. We're praying for you. But are we really praying? Are we really praying? Because prayer does work, and there is power in prayer. And prayer does often change things, and there are times, and I don't understand why he acts this way, but there are times where God does wait to hear the prayers of his people before he reacts. You see that model in Scripture. But fundamentally, prayer is not about changing God. Prayer is about changing you. Prayer is where God shapes us and molds us, and He gives us a fresh perspective. And sometimes God takes away the pain. Sometimes God gives you the new job. He gives you the A+. Sometimes God gives you what you want, but God always sustains us in our pain. And He reveals to us that whenever we find ourselves in the presence of God, that God is enough. Father, all things are possible. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And through prayer, God molds us and shapes us so that his will is revealed within us for his glory. God always uses prayer to mold our heart and to give us a fresh new perspective and strength. Well, the Bible says in verse 43, Then the angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And here's the fourth lesson. It's okay not to be okay sometimes. This is Jesus. The Scriptures say that he was in anguish. The Scriptures say that he was praying fervently, and and he, he was emotional. He was falling to the... Sweat was pouring off his body, and he was falling to the ground as well. It's okay not to be okay sometimes. I, sometimes our, our church culture in America is really crazy. It's like at our baptism, they issue you some type of mask. And we don't let anybody really see the real us, and we just pretend like everything's okay. And prayer will become the stage on which we showcase all the words that we learned in Sunday school growing up. (laughs) And we start praying, and it's like, okay, here's my opportunity to show you what I know. Oh, great Father, the progenitor of our race, Thou, Thou who has hung the planets in the skies and has birthed me through my mother. Oh, how I thank you that the sweet chariot of grace swung low into the miry clay and lifted me out of the distress of my sin and raised me up to the portals of glory so that I might one day see thy countenance upon me. And we pray this way, and we're like, hey, nobody talks that way, okay? 
Okay? You, you don't have to pretend to be somebody that you're not. A lot of people, I, I don't pray because I don't know what to say. Well, do you know how to talk? Yeah, if you know how to talk, you know how to pray, okay? It's pretty simple. And, and Jesus shows us it's okay to say, Lord, can you just take this cup from me? When we walk in this door today, some of us are facing some really heavy stuff. You got things going on. Maybe there's a health issue going on in your body or in your family that's really serious. Perhaps it's a job loss. There's stuff going on with your children or with your family. Maybe your marriage is in in, in a tension state right now. It's okay to be real with God. And we see that our Savior was real with God. But then notice, when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. And he said, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. And here's the fifth lesson. I I think this lesson's kind of nestled into the story. We often just miss it as we look at the Gethsemane prayer. But sometimes you just need a friend. Somebody to be there with you. It it strikes me here that Jesus, in this moment of anguish, asked Peter, James, and John to come closer to him, to be with him while he prayed. That he asked them specifically to pray with him. This is Jesus. Jesus can handle anything. He's the Son of God, but even Jesus had prayer requests. Guys, I need you. I'm struggling right now. I need my friends to just be there and pray. There are times when life is bigger than we are. We just don't have the answers, and it's very, very difficult to get perspective, and we just need some people around us to just care, to pray for us. One of the ways through which Christian people express our love and concern is through prayer. You say, well, Lash, what's going on in their life? I can't change it. I can't do anything about the fact that they maybe lost a loved one. But you can show them that you care about them and that you love them by praying with them, walking the journey together. And being there for your friend in their time of need. And we recognize as Christians that we lift up our voices and our eyes to God because we have a common faith and trust in God and His power and His provision. Sometimes I hear, well, you know what? I can worship God just as well at home as I can at church. And in the day and age that I spoke about earlier, where we have all this input coming in. You can find podcasts, and you can find TV programs, and you can find, I promise you this, you can find better preaching at home than you'll find here, okay? I promise you that. You're supposed to laugh or something on that, but anyway, uh, make me feel good, I'll tell you what. Yeah, 10th anniversary coming up. Hope that works. Okay, okay. that was awkward. All right, so you you can listen to podcasts, and you can do all that at home, but, but understand that one day, you'll reach a point in life where you need other people. It's good to have online friends. I'm connected with people from high school that I never would have connected with if it weren't for social media. I love having those friendships. But you know what else? I need some people that live in my geographical proximity. 
I need some flesh and blood. People, I need some people that we have enough light where I can see your eyeballs, okay? I need friends in my life because there's seasons where we're going to go through times in life where we need each other. And we see that our Lord had prayer requests. He asked his friends to be there for them. Jesus wasn't asking these guys to go to the cross for him. He just wanted them to pray. And unfortunately, in this situation, they blew it. It's easy to get caught up in the cares of life and forget to care about those in your life. It's easy to get caught up in the cares of life and to forget to care about those in your life. One of the things that makes church church is that we love one another. We pray for one another. A few weeks ago, I was pulling into the church parking lot for a meeting. My phone rang. My sister was on the other end. It was one of those phone calls you don't want to receive. My sister said, Lasha, Dad's just been put in the ambulance. I think it's pretty serious. In fact, Dad and Mom are saying their goodbyes in case he doesn't make it. Uh, You need to come this way. So I hung up the phone, I excused myself from the meeting, and I began to head to Fort Worth. I was worried, I was upset, I felt the way that any of us in this room would feel if you just got that type of phone call. I thought I might be saying goodbye to my earthly father that evening. And on the way there, the Holy Spirit reminded me that no matter what happens, I can always talk to my father in heaven. And so I spent the drive from Dallas to Fort Worth praying. You say, okay, Lash, you prayed. Did he get better? Did he? Because I prayed before and they didn't get better. Did, did he get better? Yes, he got better. He survived the evening and he's doing well now. But he's not healed. He's still struggling. He's having to relearn to do some of the basic things of life like walk and get in and out of bed and eat. And he's just striving to live the next chapter of his life and he's having to work really hard. You say, okay, well, Lasha, did your prayer work? If he's still sick, if he's still struggling, did did your prayer work? And I say to you, yes, it worked. You say, but he's still struggling. How how did it work? Because it is through that prayer that I found two things. Because as I drove from here to Fort Worth and I talked to my Heavenly Father, God gave me a couple of things that I did not have before I went into His presence. He gave me a calm. He gave me a strength. I also got a perspective. And I was reminded that as a Christian, I don't live life as those who have no hope, but I live life with a hope that goes beyond the hundred-year window that we call life. And the gift of prayer that night was that calm and that strength that can only come from God. And here's the sixth lesson of prayer that I want you to catch today. Prayer is where God gives you His calm. Prayer is where God gives you His strength. 
And I want to challenge you this week to write down on a piece of paper the big worries of your life. Those things that really tempt you to worry, to be anxious. And I want to encourage you every day this week to pray about those worries. To intentionally unplug from the world for a few moments. I realize some of your lives are very, very busy and this might be hard. But find some time in your life each day to just turn the phone off, unplug for a few moments, and bow before your God and pray. Spending time in the presence of God. That's where you're going to find your calm. That's where you're going to find your strength. That's where you're going to find that fresh perspective to be the person that He created you to be. God didn't create you just to exist. He didn't create you just to live life with a perpetual list of to-dos. God created you to be. To be His unique creation living your life for His glory and to have a graciousness that is known to all. We find that through the gift of prayer. Hey, I realize that some of you, you bring some pretty heavy stuff into the doors with you today. I want to invite you to pray about it. You can always come during this time of invitation and pray at the stairs, on the front seats, Seems as though we've gotten away from that around here. There's something powerful about it. When you're going through a tough time, invitation time, you just come and kneel. I'm going to ask the deacons that are in this service today that when we have our time of commitment, if, if you guys will just come and kneel at the front and pray. There might be others in the room that just want to pray there beside you. There's something going on in your life, whatever it might be, and you just need to pray about it. There might be someone sitting around you that you know is going through some type of struggle and you might just want to go over and pray for them. Others might be standing and singing, but you just want to be seated and pray. It's okay. I can't wait for the coming weeks where we look at these prayers and God continues to teach us and mold us and shape us. I'm here at the front. Stacy's over here. If there's anything I can pray with you about, it's always my joy to do so. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your calm and for your strength. For the gift that you have given us called prayer. Lord, I love this church. I love these people. But I'm also fearful that maybe we are living, living life divorced from one of the greatest gifts of life, the gift of prayer. And we realize that as your children, this is something that you have given us. And so I pray that we might renew its embrace and find the joy of spending time with you. Help us, Lord, to intentionally find more quiet to realize that we are a generation that is experiencing some very new phenomenon. And, and Lord, we have to, in some ways, be different in order not to have our joy and our peace stolen from us. Help us to realize the great sweetness that is found in your presence. 
and the power that is found from abiding with you. Lord, I lift up, I lift up my friends that walk into these doors today with heavy burdens. I realize that in some situations I can't do anything about it, but I want them to know that I care and that I'm praying for them and that it's more than just words. But it's a connection from my heart to theirs and that that connection connects to your heart. So help us, Lord, to realize that we're not alone. We're in this together, praying for one another, inspiring one another, encouraging one another. And you've given us this wonderful, powerful, joyful gift called prayer. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.